Welcome to the chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 122 of Chalk Talk. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover radio show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. underscore. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh you might see me being a little distracted. We are in the 10th inning of a Phillies game here. As I just tweeted out, I'm podcasting through uh, an epic Phillies comeback. I should be paid extra for this episode. So Shane, put that in my contract. Um, I, I get a week three, a week one bonus uh, check on, on my front door stuff. Roster bonus. Yes. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Phillies, Phillies bonus. Yes. All right. So I mean, I'm so excited to finally be back. I enjoy like the creative off-season content we do. It's nice to get out of the weekly grind of watching games, uh, taking notes, putting together the podcast stuff. But that's a nice break. But man, it's good to be back. And we've got a full slate of games, no buys uh, in the first couple of weeks of the season. So we got a lot of games to talk about. We'll try to keep it tight tonight. Uh, but we're going to cover every single game in the NFL slate. We're going to start as we always do with the Eagles game because that's close to home and then we'll walk through the rest of the slate so let's dive in you guys that are watching live you can drop comments here in the chat we do like to see those we'll throw some of them up on the screen as we go so the eagles go to foxborough and they emerge victorious 25 to 20 Uh, they open the game with a 14 play 61 yard field goal drive then darius slay got a pick six Then Jordan Davis forced an Ezekiel Elliott fumble, and suddenly the Eagles are up 16-0. But the offense stalled five straight three and outs. And at the end of the game, the defense had to save the game with two stops in the fourth quarter. Uh, Rookie defensive tackle Jalen Carter had six pressures and a sack on 32 pass rushes, which is tied for the most pressures by a rookie defensive tackle in a game in the last five years. He also had a 32% pass rush win rate so fantastic showing by Jalen Carter Mac Jones I thought looked good 35 of 54 for 316 yards three touchdowns one of which was an absolute dime to Hunter Henry you couldn't cover that more perfectly you couldn't throw that ball more perfectly Uh, he did of course have the Darius Slay pick six so but oh all in all I would think a very encouraging performance for Patriots fans and maybe a slightly worrying one for Eagles fans yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting podcast in general because I think there's going to be people like Patrick Bernard and, and people that watch. And I, I just from judging J- Shane's tweets, I ch- honestly, I tried to not get in any arguments with Shane on Twitter um, because I was like, we're going to have a podcast like on, on Tuesday. So why not just save it? And he didn't say anything that I got too upset with, but I'm coming out of this game so much less negative than most are. Um, maybe it's because I'm not quite as doom and gloom about the Patriots as a lot of people were coming into the year. I had them at nine and eight. Um, I, I had them being a pretty average team. and In a I, brutal division, mind you. Yeah, and yeah. They- I had them actually coming in third in that division. I had Miami in fourth at eight and nine, which doesn't look smart right now. I only did that because of the Tua injury stuff. If Tua's healthy, they're, you know, probably an 11-win team. But New England, people forget that they have a top-five defense. That just commonly gets forgotten. 
Um, and then on the other side of the ball, last year they went eight and nine with two absolute buffoons as their offensive coordinators. They had Matt Patricia, a defensive coordinator, and Joe Judge, a moron, calling their offense. And Special they, teams coach. Yeah, yeah. They, and they suffered. Their offense clearly suffered. And I don't think it's fair to have the expectations of this offense based on last year's because they whatever your opinions are on Bill O'Brien, and believe me, I've got a lot of them. But he's an offensive coordinator. He's a play caller who's very experienced in the NFL, in college, working with a lot of different types of quarterbacks. I believe he worked with Mac Jones at Alabama, which was part of the reason that they brought him in. There was no reason. And because he knows Bill Belichick. That's the real reason. He already knew Bill Belichick. Yeah, you can only coach in New England if you've coached in New England, of course. But, or played there. Uh, But you think that it was not fair to expect their offense to not be better um, with real play caller. Uh, and th- I think that the Patriots, you know, people are going to act like our defense gave up all this and they're worried about the middle. And I get it. The safeties and linebackers aren't good. First of all, I feel like we're doing this every year <laughs> where we complain about the linebackers early in the year. And it usually ends up fine. Um, I wish we would have done more at safety for sure. And that could be something that bites us in a lot of situations. But I just don't think New England did enough through a sustained part of the game for me to be too nervous. The first and third quarter, um, they were dominant on defense. They didn't let them do anything. Second and fourth, they were bad. They strung some drives together. I I feel like I don't know which way to take this, honestly, because there's so many like tangents and avenues I can kind of go off on. Um, There's a lot of criticism about the pass rush. I think that's unwarranted. Uh, I think they were just pass rush was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, He was getting rid of the ball in like two seconds. Yeah. The the Eagles, I I think I had this pulled up earlier and I should have written it down and I'll look it up here while we're podcasting and, and get it to you at some point, but their pass rush win rate is incredible. Um, they were so good in this game. The pass rush was so good in this game, but Mike Jones was just getting the ball out. I mean, immediately, almost instantly. And so, uh, yeah, the Eagles ranked third in pass rush win rate, 65%, 65% of passing snaps, an Eagles pass rusher won within 2.5 seconds. The problem is Mike Jones was getting rid of the ball faster than that. And that comes back to your linebackers and safeties thing. You've got to be able to, have serviceable play back there to allow that pass rush to get home, but make no mistake. The pass rush was fantastic. Yeah. No, I, and I don't know. I guess we can just start with the pass rush. Any negative takeaways that anyone has from this game and any concerning worries that anyone has about this game, in my opinion, are incredibly minuscule when compared to the fact that now we have the positive takeaway of knowing that Jalen Carter is immediately a top 10 defensive lineman in the NFL, one of the absolute best players on the Eagles, and a force to be reckoned with from snap one of his NFL career. Not that we didn't expect him to be a factor, not that we didn't expect him to be good. I think we can expect him to be dominant 
throughout the rest of the year and to be a top player on this team, a top player in this league at that position. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I expected Carter to be a good player. I did not. I'm on the record. I did not expect him to have the impact that he had in game one. And if he's able to sustain that over the year, I mean, you're talking a lot for defensive rookie of the year and that'd be incredible for a defensive tackle. So uh, a lot of positives there. Uh, there was a lot of criticisms of the offensive line as well. And I thought the offensive line actually played pretty decently. Cam Jurgen struggled a little bit. Jordan Mylotta struggled a little bit, but overall the offensive line was good. And I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to the reason, the biggest reason the offense was bad is that Jalen Hurts had a bad game. And you don't see that very often. You don't see it twice in a row ever. And so I fully expect them to bounce back on the short week on Thursday night, but Obviously concerning things with N'Kobe Dean going on IR and the Eagles are thin at linebacker. Uh, James Bradbury in the concussion protocol, he won't be cleared for Thursday night. So you're already getting into some depth on the defense uh, and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I, I don't think it will. I guess Bradbury being out is obviously concerning, um, but it does feel like we're a lot deeper at that position than we've been in years past. Um, so hopefully we don't feel it uh, quite, quite as much. All right. Anything else you want to throw out about the Eagles game while we're on? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm trying to th- – there's so many ways you can kind of go. Uh, let's- Here, I'll, I'll give you one. When I talk about Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni being bad in this game, yeah, I don't necessarily mean play calling. Now, there's some instances of that. The Eagles still didn't show answers to the blitz at, at times. Uh, there were some – there was a just – dumbfounding four verticals play they called against cover one man from the shadow of their own end zone that made no sense. But what I'm really talking about is things like at the end of the game, when the Eagles get the ball back just over two minutes left and the Patriots have all three timeouts, they run the ball on first down Patriots call a timeout, run the ball on second down Patriots call a timeout on third and seven. They call a QB draw that everybody in the universe saw coming because it was from empty. Like it always is. Patriots called a timeout and then on fourth and two, they decided to go for it. Now I think you should be aggressive and go try to win the game in that instance. I don't think there's a big difference between Mac Jones having to go 60 yards for a touchdown and Mac Jones having to go 90 yards for a touchdown, because when you have that extra yardage, we've seen time and time teams play softer and you just let them eat that yardage up. My issue is, be aggressive from the snap. Like if you're going to go for it, start throwing the ball on first down. Give yourself more than one chance. Don't don't ever play for fourth and short. Playing for third and short, fourth and short, that's that's a losing mentality. And I hated stuff like that. And I thought there were instances of that. And that's my primary criticism of the play calling. But overall, offensively, like Jalen Hurts just has to play better, pure and simple. And we know he can. We expect him to. And, and I mean, I think he will. Yeah, I think a lot of it, I, I do think they kind of just went into a shell. And I think Jalen went to be overprotective when they went up 16 nothing, And I think the play calling became very vanilla when they went up 16 nothing. I think if you watch the offense before that, I think everything was fine. I think everything was humming. Obviously, you got a field goal on one of those drives where you would have liked a touchdown, but that happens. Like I thought the offense was moving really well up until the point they were up 16 nothing, um, even with obviously a short fields on a couple of those drives. But uh, after that, I, it's not great. 
but I, I just don't think that that's something that I'm worried about with Jalen. The fourth and two, uh, it bothers me to stay in the pocket and throw on fourth and two. If I'm going to throw with Jalen, I'm at least going to roll him out to give him the option of running and getting that two yards on the edge where he's just faster than most human beings. Um, so if I'm going to throw, it's going to be a bootleg or it's going to be something where he can get moving and not just sit there and throw a slant. I think that's dumb. Um, I'd rather run. And, and if that, a slant to Devonta Smith, not A.J. Brown, who's a much bigger body guy, is yeah. better in those situations too. Yeah, I just didn't like anything about that move, and I really thought they were trying to draw them off sides. Um, so, yeah, I, I was surprised that they went for it. I would have went for it, but I would have either liked to have ran the ball uh, or would have liked to have rolled Jalen out and, and kind of let him make the call from there. You know, they actually – I have to go find it. I, I, I want to watch the game pass. I actually have NFL Plus this year, um, so it, it'll be fun to be able to have that. Uh, but I – want to find the play because they had a rollout play where they had a tight end kind of in the flat right in front of Jalen for like a three or three to seven yard option. And Jalen, I believe, threw it 15, 20 yards to Devante, who was kind of layering, doing the same route about 10 yards behind that tight end. Um, and I thought it was a really good play. And like on that situation, that would have been a perfect play to use in that. I guess the only other thing that I want to bring up about the Eagles is the running game. Um, I have a I have a take here, uh, and this is I don't know if this is an insensitive take, um, but uh, Kenny Gainwell uh, was the lead runner, and I like Gainwell. Um, I think he's better than Miles Sanders. Like I actually think all of our running backs might be better than Miles Sanders, besides Boston Scott. Um, but I think it would be better for this offense if Kenny Gainwell misses the game on Thursday, because I would like to see what Swift and Penny would look like in an expanded role. I would hope Boston Scott would still be used as like, I, I would hope he wouldn't get his workload upgraded that much to the point where he was a workhorse running back in that game. But if you could use Swift and Penny um, and see what they are, I think that would almost be more helpful than having Gainwell play. Let Gainwell rest. Like, that should be the point of having three of these guys and a guy in Boston Scott who you trust. So I, I would honestly like to see Gainwell. He, he's missed practice twice now um, mm -hmm. since the game. I, I would like to see him miss the game on Thursday. Yeah, well, he did have more touches in that game than he had last season combined, I think. so. Yeah, I, I dropped the ball on like, not mentioning that. That's kind of my point. He, he What is it, 14 carries and then one carry for each of the other two backs, and Penny was a healthy scratch. Mm -hmm. It's crazy to me. And, and I like Gainwell. DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny are really talented. Like, yeah. look at what DeAndre Swift did down the stretch with Detroit last year. Look at what Rashad Penny's done every time he's ever been given carries in the NFL. Like Broken his leg? That's fair. But <laughs> let's, let's milk those three games before he breaks the leg out because he's generally elite when he plays in the NFL. Like, he, I mean, you tweeted, you tweeted the charts this offseason. Like, mm -hmm. he breaks charts. Like, that's what he does every year with his explosive runs and, and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I'd just like to see what it would look like in a real game before we're giving him healthy scratches. That's annoying to me. Maybe Plus they're going to maybe yeah. they're gonna healthy scratch him all year and then just activate him for the playoffs. Keep him yeah. healthy. I like that, actually. I like that take. <laughs> but uh, my, my buddy was going nuts because he loves Rashad Penny. He loved him in Seattle. And he was victory lapping all off season when we signed him for nothing. He's like, oh, we're going to have a top 10 running back per snap. 
Um, and then he got a healthy scratch. He's like, I get it. Boston Scott's fun. The Giants memes, everything. But it's like, what are we doing? Like, how when, is he active? When the news broke that he was a healthy scratch, I, I snagged the DeAndre Swift over 40 rushing yards yeah. uh, before the line moved. And then he only got one carry. I was like, what are we doing here? But Swift had a bad drop. I will say that. He did, yeah. And I know that uh, Sirianni apparently reacted to a miles drop in the first couple of weeks of 2021 um, where he looked at Steichen and said, we need to get that out of the playbook and basically said like, let's stop throwing it to miles. And they did because yeah. last year they basically set like records for the percentage that they threw to the running back in, in like the way that they just didn't do it. Like they were 32nd yeah. in the NFL and the gap between 32nd and 31st was bigger than the gap between 31st and fifth between like <laughs> how little they threw to the running backs. I believe they had – actually, I'll ask you. If I ask you to guess how many yards they had on screen passes to running backs last year, how what would you say? On screen passes to running backs? Yeah. None. Minus three. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> wild. So, all right, a couple comments here. Uh, Patrick on Facebook wants to know how there's not gray hairs in my amazing beard after the Eagles game at – you know, I color it before every show. Got to make sure I look real good up here on screen for you guys. Uh, he also said Mac Jones did a great job spreading the ball around, he did. Uh, which I thought was true. Uh, also, Ash said, if we should take anything away from the Cowboys smashing the overhyped Giants, any concerns there? And we will get to that yeah. uh, on our Sunday night slate. But before we do that, we're going to go through these games in order now. So we're going to go to Thursday night, the kickoff game, Detroit versus Kansas City. Uh, Detroit wins this game 21 to 20 that uh, Mark faking a punt inside your own 20 yard line in the first quarter is a wild decision, uh, but it paid off for Dan Campbell. It led to the first score of the game as the giants took a seven Oh lead and uh, they ultimately end up winning the game. But my biggest takeaway from this game is the chiefs have major issues of Travis Kelsey's out of the lineup. I mean, Kadarius yeah. Tony was awful. He had, three drops, including one that led to a pick six. Sky Moore had zero catches and a drop. I also thought the Chiefs felt the weight of missing Chris Jones late in the game as the Lions just wore the Chiefs' front seven down, and they were able to grind that game out on the ground. I thought Patrick Mahomes played well. He just had nothing helping him on that offense. And so uh, they fall to 0-1, and Detroit uh, shares a part of the NFC North lead, uh, at least for now. What, what did you think about this game? What I thought about this game is it, it you us talking about it just reminded me to go look up some Super Bowl odds and some AFC Championship odds so I can get the Chiefs and buy the dip. Um, this was a game where the 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 Chiefs uh, you, you don't have Travis Kelsey, your second best player. One of the probably ha so the line moved three points or two and a half points when Travis Kelsey was announced out, got down to four and a half. Maybe even four at some spot, uh, some spots. So that that is three points. How many non quarterbacks in the NFL, Shane, are moving a line three points? Uh, nobody. Jefferson and Watt. Yeah, Jefferson. Like, Watt. I mean, yeah. Bosa maybe, but San Fran's so good that I don't even know if Bosa would. None of the offensive weapons for San Fran would like. I, it's hard that there's not maybe sauce like. I guess it's hard to say that, but corner, it's hard to value corner like that. 
Um, so maybe Sauce, maybe a really good offensive lineman that I'm not thinking of, Trent Williams. Like I, I just don't. Travis Kelsey's one of the most valuable non QBs in the league. Um, so the the Kansas City Chiefs didn't have their second most valuable player in, in Travis Kelsey. They didn't have their third most valuable player in Chris Jones, who people said was the best player in the NFL last year on defense. A lot of people have been saying that. And this team also had Kadarius Toney have four drops with one of the worst pick six drops of all time. And the Chiefs lost by one. Chiefs are going to be fine. Yeah, this game means a This win means a lot more for the Lions than the loss means for uh, the Chiefs. Yeah, and even that, I, I didn't. I didn't walk out of that game feeling like, oh my god, the Lions made me feel dumb for not buying fully in. Like, I think if this game happened, if you replayed this game t- this week, I think the Chiefs would win and should be a touchdown favorite. Like, I, I just. Travis Kelsey is a huge difference maker. Chris Jones is a huge difference maker. And the Chiefs should have won this game without those guys. All right. Let's get on to the Sunday noons or one o'clock. Excuse me. It's noon my time. I always get that confused. By the way, that comment, Vancouver Memphis, is a Vancouver Grizzlies jersey. It is John Morant, though. It's I, I know it's not not good, you know, guns. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, but John Morant, from when he was a rookie, I had him in a dynasty fantasy basketball league, was a big fan, got the jersey for the throwback. All right. Uh, on to the Sunday 1 o'clock slate. We'll start with Carolina at Atlanta. Atlanta wins 24-10. to 10. The Falcons' rushing attack reigns supreme in this one. Tyler Algier had 75 rushing yards <laughs> and two touchdowns. Uh, Bajan Robinson. He's their only running back, right? It's not like they used a first-round pick on a guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bajan Robinson, I think that was his name, had 83 uh, yards on 16 touches, including six receptions. And the craziest juke you'll ever see his first touchdown. Go look up the clip. Uh, Desmond Ritter was under 100 yards passing with five minutes left in this game. Uh, Meanwhile, Jesse Bates uh, gave Bryce Young his welcome to the NFL moment, intercepting him two times. Uh, he also forced a fumble later in the game, although that wasn't Young that fumbled. Uh, it was a rough day for Bryce Young, who ended 20 of 38 for 146 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Uh, Mark, this is the first time the Falcons have won in week one since 2017, which is also the last time they made the playoffs. So Falcons going to the playoff confirmed uh, on the on the Browns side or the Browns, the Panthers side. Uh, Brian Burns fires his first salvo in the I want a better contract dispute. He had one and a half sacks, a tackle for loss, and a forced fumble. And he did that against Caleb McGarry, who is a good tackle. Up next is Trevor Penning, who is not a good tackle. And then Seattle, who lost both of their tackles on Sunday. So uh, the Panthers should probably pay this guy before next week is kind of where I'm at. What would you take away from the Falcons-Panthers game? Uh, This is not going to work long-term for the Falcons for Desmond Ritter to have like 120 yards per game and and run a college offense where you're running the ball 40 times per game. Um, JC Horn did get hurt in this game, right? I I believe, Um, which is just, that's, that's just the life of JC Horn. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think uh, the numbers don't look good for Bryce Young and the picks were bad. Um, He actually got duped on the exact same play twice, twice by Jesse Bates. Um, but 
he looked really good in the first half, and then it just went away. Like, I don't know if Atlanta's DC figured something out or if the weapons just he just they they were not impressive. Like Carolina's wide receivers looked like some of the worst in the sport um in, in this game. It, it was really, really rough. Um, just no separation throughout the game. And they were missing Shark. Um, I believe they're missing someone, another one of their receivers. Um, I can't remember which one at, at this time. I know Mingo got a lot of snaps. I know Marshall got a lot of snaps. Um, but they were missing receivers, and it it showed. Uh, second half was brutal offensively for Carolina. Um, but, yeah, uh, did you see what uh, what Arthur Smith said about Drake London? Who no, had about to... how it's just about winning games and they don't yeah. care about that. And... Yeah, it's, it, you know, I don't care about Drake if Drake London has zero catches every game, and neither does Drake. He yeah, just it's just about win. winning games. I could yeah. argue that getting your tight end you drafted number four overall – and your receiver you drafted number eight overall in back-to-back weeks actually involved in the offense might correlate to winning games. Yeah, and by the way, Drake London cares about if he gets zero balls every game. Just just so we know, career-wise, he has a career, Arthur. Like, yeah. I, I get it, but like, and I like Arthur Smith. I think he's generally a good coach. I just don't understand some of the ways that he use, utilizes his targets and, and – it's really frustrating. And, he, you know, he went off on the fantasy guys. I'll let the fantasy guys sort that one out. And it's like, dude, fantasy football is not this evil thing. It takes the statistics that are derived from the game that are played. Like, it's just uh, use good players. I don't know what to say. Like, it's frustrating. The Falcons' refusal to get the players they draft high will never not be confusing. Yeah, I mean, like, you think Kyle Pitts is signing a new contract with you in two years in an offense like this, you're crazy. Like, he's not going to do that. Drake London's not going to do it in three years. Like, you've got to be able to move the football through the air at some point. Well, I guess it, I I guess maybe it is smart. You'll get no one to want to pay them uh, because of the situation they're in. Yeah, I think people will want to pay him. So, yeah, I agree. All right, well, let's move on to another rookie quarterback. It was C.J. Stroud's debut against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, the Ravens won 25-9. to And, Mark, this game was scoregami. 25-9 to has never happened in NFL history before. So that's kind of a little fun fact. Uh, the Ravens' offense struggled early. I thought Lamar looked rusty. He fumbled twice and threw an interception in the first half. Uh, but the defense picked up the slack. And uh, the, the, the big thing for this game – is the injuries. J.K. Dobbins has a season-ending Achilles injury, which is just awful. Uh, He's had the worst injury luck in the league. And then, you know, from the Ravens' perspective, not only do you lose Dobbins, but Marcus Williams is out for a while with a pec injury. Uh, Ronnie Stanley sprained his knee in his week-to-week. Tyler Linderbaum sprained his ankle in his week-to-week. So the Ravens are already really banged up. Uh, They do, though, Uh, Zay Flowers looked good. Nine receptions for 78 yards. He was Lamar's favorite target on a day where Mark Andrews was inactive, also injured. Uh, And then for the Texans, you know, I thought the Texans showed some fight. C.J. Stroud was 28 of 44 with nothing to work with at receiver. 242 yards. He didn't throw a touchdown, but he didn't throw a pick. Uh, So overall, uh, positive performance from Stroud. I thought the Ravens I'm a little worried about, but hopefully they can sustain you know, persevere through these injuries and get the offense on track. Yeah. I actually feel kind of the exact same way. Um, not much more to add. Like I actually thought Stroud would look pretty poised in the pocket, look pretty comfortable. I, 
well, I really like Houston this week coming up. They play Indianapolis in Houston, and they're a one-and-a-half-point dog. I'll be on Houston. I think we're going to see Stroud look better um, in that game. I think the Ravens' defense is underrated, so I think that was a tough matchup for them right away. Um, they couldn't really run the ball, Houston, um, but Nico Collins was pretty impressive. I thought Nico Collins looked good for Houston, looked like he'll probably be their most popular receiver. But, yeah, the main takeaway from this game is ugh, Baltimore. That was a little weird. Like, I didn't think Lamar played well. Uh, they, they didn't run the ball well at all. Um, uh, and the only positive thing that you could say, I guess you could argue, if you're Baltimore, you could hear what I said about Jalen Carter and say any negatives or take any concerns that you have are outweighed by the fact that it looks like Zay Flowers is a legitimate difference-making stud at the wide receiver position in a way that they haven't had since Anquan Bolden. So I, I would say that that is probably the most the most important takeaway from this game is how good Zay Flowers looked right away. Uh, but I watched a lot of this game. It was not impressive for Baltimore, even though the, you know they won by 16. Yeah, well... Speaking of AFC North quarterbacks who were not impressive, let's go to Cleveland uh, where Cincinnati loses to Cleveland 24 to three and Jim Schwartz and rain fixed a lot of problems for the Cleveland defense. Cincinnati went three and out seven times in this game. And by the mid fourth quarter, they pulled their starters. They knew it was over. Uh, Joe Burrow coming off his contract announcement, highest paid player in NFL history. Went 14 for 31 passing for 82 yards. Uh, his offense totaled 142 yards on the day. Joe Burrow ended with negative 13.9 completion percentage over expectation, the worst of his year, his or his career. His 82 passing yards were the third least in a game by a player with 30-plus attempts and no interceptions since 1950. Uh, just a bad day. And, one of the things the Browns did is they blitzed him a lot. Joe Burrow was blitzed on 15.6% of his dropbacks last year, which was the lowest in the league, less than even Tom Brady. The Browns blitzed him on 38% of his dropbacks, and he was 2 of 12 for 16 yards. Now, before we freak out about the Browns, or the, the uh, Bengals, I remember... Joe Burrow, last year, taking seven sacks and throwing four interceptions in week one. The Bengals figured it out. We have to remember, the Bengals do not have the luxury of a head coach that knows what he's doing. <laughs> Joe Burrow has to figure this stuff out on the fly. So I'm not concerned about the Bengals. I think they're going to be fine. It's a bad week one performance, but I think you shake it off. And, you know, Deshaun Watson didn't look good either, by the way, but Dustin Hopkins hit field goals in the rain from 42, 34, and 43 yards to help put the game away. So give that guy the player of the game uh, if you don't give the game ball to Jim Schwartz, at least. Yeah, no, I, I this is definitely more of a, wow, Cleveland's defense is good game than a, a since he is terrible and should be disregarded. Um, the one thing I will say is, Joe Burrow gets none of the stink on him from these types of games that Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson do when they have the and Tua, not that he's of that tier, um, but those guys get made fun of on social media. And if they have a bad game, they are the butt of the joke online, and you know they are leading the talk shows the next day. It doesn't happen with Joe Burrow. 
we just he's just you he's joe shiesty joe cool um what i forget some of the nicknames they had for him something with ice right um people love joe burrow and i think he gets a pass on a lot and i think in a way last year coming into the year everyone picked buffalo to be the the that super bowl you know winner and they were the odds on favorites last year despite never having won anything and we both thought that was crazy i remember felt like the same vibe for cincy this year felt like we had a lot of people talking about how good cincy was going to be and how they were going to dethrone kc this year like felt like there was a lot of that and i didn't really understand what they did this offseason to get better um and, and the last thing i'll say and by the way, none of this is me even saying Joe Burrow's bad. I'd probably rank him second. But to me, Burrow, Allen, and Hurts is like dead even. Um, but what I'd say is with Josh, or with Jalen Hurts, you get the, oh, look at the situation. I know Joe Burrow's got a bad co- head coach. Look at, this, look at the guys Joe Burrow's throwing to, though. And, and look at Joe Mixon's been pretty good over the last couple of years of his career. Like, it's not like just or it's not like joe burrow is in this bad situation um i i feel like joe burrow gets none of the criticism and all of the praise yeah that's that's fair Uh, i think that criticism will come if they're not able to turn it around this year but i've got every every ounce of confidence that this was a blip on the radar yeah so i think it's a blip on the radar i think they'll be an 11 and 12 win team i would not that you know no matter what you have questions if they can get to a super bowl or not but this team success should be graded on whether or not they make the super bowl right like that's you're one of they're one of those teams so this is the type of game that i raised my eyebrows a little bit when i think about whether or not this team is a super bowl level team um do i raise my eyebrows on thinking they'll be competitive and they'll be right in the mix no yeah All right, let's move on to Jacksonville at Indianapolis. This, in my opinion, was the best game in the 1 o'clock slate. Uh, Jacksonville wins 31-21. Calvin Ridley had not played a football game in 686 days. His receiving total was 63.5 yards. I took the over, and he delivered eight receptions, 101 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, The Jags were down late in this game. But Jamal Agnew let a punt bounce inside the 10 and then scooped it up. Generally a terrible idea. And he returned at 48 yards to set up a touchdown that took the lead. Uh, Trevor Lawrence in this game, uh, he was throwing downfield 10 plus yards. He was 8 of 11 for 147 yards and two touchdowns. A plus 27.8 completion percentage over expectation. I was really impressed by Lawrence. I was also impressed by Anthony Richardson. I thought he was up and down, but he was electric as a runner. He was good in the RPO game. He struggled to move through progressions, which is pretty much what we expected or what I expected at least out of Richardson. Uh, but they played the Jags tough. Uh, ultimately, the Jags walk away with a 10-point win. What do you think about this one? Yeah, um, I, I think that Anthony Richardson probably gives Indy a floor um, that we didn't give them credit for. Uh, with his athleticism, with his rushing ability, they probably aren't going to get blown out in a lot of games. They're probably going to win some games that we wouldn't expected them to win at the beginning of the season. Um, so I'm not really concerned that this was a close game for a long time because I, again, 
whatever the concerning takeaways are about Jacksonville's defense, the most positive takeaway that you can have from this game and the number one things, number one thing Jacksonville fans should have been hoping for and watching for going into week one is that Calvin Ridley is Calvin Ridley and they have a legitimate top 10 wide receiver. And if Jacksonville has a legitimate top 10 wide receiver, then we're talking about a team that can win the Super Bowl. I, I truly honestly believe that. And one of the most fun games of the season is happening this week, in my opinion, in Jacksonville, Kansas City. And I'm stamping my flag right now. AFC Conference Championship preview in week two. Week two, Shane. You don't get that. You don't get that often. No. All right. Uh, moving on to a snooze fest of a game. It is Tampa Bay at Minnesota. Sorry to the Buccaneers and Vikings fans. Uh, I'm not trying to insult you or your teams, but uh, Tampa Bay won 20 to 17. The Vikings were 11 and one in one score games last season, Mark, with their only loss coming in the playoffs. They start this year off 0 and one in one score games. Uh, Kirk Cousins put up 273 yards in the first half, but he turned it over three times. Two fumbles, one interception, all in Bucks territory, two of them in the red zone. Uh, the Bucks offense started slow with 29 yards on the first six drives combined, but then they hit their stride a little bit. Uh, Mayfield started the day four of 11 passing, but he ended after that. He went 21 of 34. Uh, Baker Mayfield, fun fact, is now three and one in new team debuts. His only loss was with the Panthers. So uh, the Buccaneers should probably trade Baker Mayfield to somebody else, and he'll probably win that game next week. Otherwise, it's probably not going to work out. I like that. He should be a mercenary. He should just be signing one week contracts. Like, hey, I'll, I'll come in. I'll get you a win if you need it, and then I'll, I'll go to. I'll go to. Uh, the Bucks can just send him to for one week to whoever is playing the Falcons. Yeah, oh, I like that. And then like they get him back and they send him to the next team that's playing the Falcons or whoever is leading the division, threatening him in the division. I like that a lot. You send him. Send him to. Uh, Who's playing New Orleans this week? I don't even know. Uh, yeah, send him to Carolina to, to beat New Orleans. No, no, he can't win debuts with Carolina. He's already played with them. Oh, geez, you're right. Oh it gets it's, gets difficult. You're going to have to, like, map this all out. But Yeah, yeah, it's not good. You send him to the Chargers. Does that count? It's the same building. I don't know. Yeah. There's only one way to find out, though. Got to try it. Yeah, I mean, maybe he'll do a better job at winning games there than – you know, the stinky quarterback they have playing for the Chargers right now. Uh, yeah, we're going to yell at each other later, but we don't have to do that now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, at least he didn't get doubled up in, in passing yards by the, the, the guy that he, he was playing against, right? He, oh, okay. All right, Tennessee at New Orleans. <laughs> uh, Tennessee loses this game 15-16 to 16 on one of the dumbest decisions you'll see this entire year. They were down four with 2.17 left, and they kicked a field goal on fourth and six from the 11-yard line. It was a 10% win probability swing in the negative direction, and they never saw the ball again. Now, I was cheering it on from my couch because I had the Titans plus three, and so I yeah, covered. Yeah. And maybe Mike Vrabel also had the Titans plus three. We can investigate that. Awful decision. Um, paid off for me, though, but... Uh, Derek Carr was pressured on 51% of his dropbacks in this game behind a porous New Orleans offensive line. 
Uh, Ryan Tannehill was dreadful in this game. 16 of 34 for 198 yards with three interceptions. Two of them came while targeting DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Meanwhile, Derrick Henry had 63 rushing yards. He had 56 receiving yards for the Titans. He was their whole offense. Uh, Mark, what do you take away from this one? The Saints offensive line is a problem. I feel like I'm seeing a lot of positivity about the Saints coming out of this game, and I get it. They won the game. You won by one at home in a game where Ryan Tannehill played the worst game of his career, which was not a great career. I mean, there's like a lot of bad games in there, like, and he played the worst one of his career against you. Um, and, and, yeah, I just felt like your your kicker made a bunch of kicks and you got the ball at the right time and kept it away. Like, I wasn't impressed at all. Their passing game was decent, I guess. Um, what, what it came down to is they just couldn't run the ball whatsoever, and Derek Carr got pressured on a ton of snaps, like, like you said. So um, this is not a team that I see being successful long-term in New Orleans, and I'm back to thinking Tennessee has serious, serious problems and that the cheese might slide off the cracker pretty fast in Nashville. I need you to repeat your line about uh, the worst game of Tannehill's career, and it's not a very good career. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true. Ryan Tannehill played the worst game of his career. I mean, what what was his stat line? He was he was sixteen of thirty four for one hundred ninety eight yards and three interceptions and, and three sacks. He had a ten point three QBR and a twenty eight point eight rating. That's the worst game of his career. It's not a storybook career. He's he got dumped out of the place that took him in the first round, and he was okay for a couple of years in Tennessee, never statistically. But uh, Ryan Tannehill, I've heard people float him as like, oh, should the Jets trade for Tannehill? And it's like, why? He's bad. <laughs> what? Okay, I just had to set that up. Uh, okay, uh, let's move on to – uh, a snoozer of a game as well, because it was a blowout. The 49ers blew out Pittsburgh. Oh, uh, I don't even want to talk about it. Seven. 49ers offense looked unstoppable against what you and I both think is a really good defense. Um, Brock Purdy was 19 of 29 for 220 yards, two touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey had 152 rushing yards and a touchdown. Brandon Ayuk had eight receptions for 129 yards. Ooh and two touchdowns. Their defense was just as good. They sacked Kenny Pickett five times and held the Steelers to 41 rushing yards. They picked him off twice. Pittsburgh did not pick up a first down until inside the two-minute warning of the second quarter. The only positive in this game for Pittsburgh is T.J. Watt, who had three sacks, two forced fumbles, a fumble recovery, five QB hits, and one pass defense. We're both on the record that we love T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt is making an early bid for Defensive Player of the Year already. But on the other side of the ball, Matt Canada has got to go. He should have gone last year. But he called shallow cross eight times against the 49ers, which if you don't know what shallow cross is, listeners, it's the play you run in Madden where you have a drag coming from both sides of the field, right? It's designed to stress the middle linebacker. Mark, remind me again, who's the 49ers middle linebacker? Yeah, the best one in the NFL, Fred Warner. Yeah, yeah. Fred Warner, might have heard of him. Uh, He called that eight times. Let's just target their best player. The best player at his position in the NFL eight times. Uh, Pickett was one of four with an interception, almost another interception and two sacks. 
on those plays. Steelers, fire Matt Canada. I am begging you, you might still be able to salvage this season. Yeah, it's one of those disappointing uh, week one games where it's like, was I wrong about everything I was saying all offseason? It's it's tough. Uh, The Pittsburgh Steelers are the only NFL team that hasn't recorded a 400-yard game on offense since the start of the 2021 season. Every other team has done it at least three times. Nine teams have done it ten-plus times. Matt Canada is still the offensive coordinator. Yeah, um, one of my one of my uh, Twitter followers told me this week that uh, Matt Canada has never coached a 400-yard offensive performance, and that blew my mind. That's insane. Yeah, it, it's insane. Uh, the Steelers, I, I still think they can turn this around. They can have a good year. Um, but, man, it, it's, it's shocking how bad and uncompetitive they were in that game. I guess the main takeaway really should be about San Fran, um, and it should be. They didn't lose a game when Brock Purdy finished last year. And that's not to say that they would have beaten us, but it's to say that there's a reason they won 10 or 11 straight with, with Brock Purdy. And I think that they were doing pretty well with Jimmy G, honestly, uh, leading into the Purdy games. So, um, yeah, San Fran still a top three roster in the NFL um, pretty easily and probably a top two roster. Kansas City's probably not a top two roster. They just have Patrick Mahomes. It's always hard to kind of weigh that because quarterback's so important. So it's like it is part of the importance of the roster. You know, you know what I mean when I say that? Like it's hard to say, but I mean the Niners, no matter how you slice it, are one of the very, very best teams in the NFL and one of the absolute favorites to go to and win the Super Bowl. Yeah. All right, and then the last game in the 1 o'clock slate, Arizona traveled to Washington. Washington wins 20-16. to 16. Arizona actually led this game 13-10 at halftime, but Washington not that held, bad. Yeah, Washington held Arizona to three points and 93 yards in the second half. Montez Sweat had one and a half sacks and forced two fumbles, albeit it was against Josh Dobbs. Uh, and then the Cardinals defense looked good as well, albeit against Sam Howell, but they racked up six sacks, two fumble or forced fumbles uh, and one interception. So maybe Arizona will get the second pick instead of the first pick this year. We'll see. I'll tell you what, the Arizona Cardinals came out with fire in their gut. They like, sure did. They, they really I, I, fire I, fast. I'm not even joking when I say that they were playing like dirty. Like, they were playing, like, 2005 NFL football. Like, I was watching the Barstool stream um, on one of the streams I had on my phone, um, watching the 1 o'clock games, and they had a Washington fan there, and he's like, they're headhunting. It's 2023. I feel like it's 15 years ago. Like, there was a point, like, um, Kaiser White actually laid a hit on Sam Howell going out of bounds, and I was like, that feels like that's from, like, 10 years ago. Like it was a, I don't, Kaiser White never did anything like that here from, from what I remember, but man, they, they were playing really hard. Um, I walked out of this game thinking these were two of the three worst teams in the NFL. Um, I, I think Washington's brutal. I, I know mm-hmm. they won the game and you're supposed to celebrate that. I think they look terrible. It was seven, six and I live bet Arizona plus seven. Cause I was like, there's no way Arizona should be a seven point dog to this team. Washington shouldn't be a seven point favorite against anyone. Um, but this just goes to show, I think like everyone was saying, Oh, Arizona is going to win zero games or one game. And they're a lock for the first pick. There's no chance anyone else gets the first pick. 
teams are almost never as bad as we expect them to be, even when they're this bad at looking on paper to start out the season. Like I remember there were some Houston teams in there that we thought were going to be some of the worst teams ever. And sure, they finished up high, but they were competitive in a ton of games. Like I, I, I just don't think Arizona is going to lay down and lose every game by 30. Like some people thought. All right, let's roll on to the 425 slate where we've got four games. Uh, obviously, we've already talked about the Eagles game. So four games left there. We'll start with Green Bay at Chicago. Green Bay wins 38-20. to 20. Green Bay, somebody on this podcast picked Green Bay to win the North, and Jordan Love looked great in this game. Now, his completion percentage doesn't reflect that 15-27, but he threw for 245 yards and three touchdowns. Missing Christian Watson, who is wide receiver one. Uh, now, granted, he was facing a defense that ranked last in passing DVOA last season, so we'll bear that in mind. But he led a scoring drive on the opening drive. Well, he relied a lot on Aaron Jones. He got six carries. But then Aaron Jones had zero touches on the next four possessions before the Packers remembered he was on the roster and got him involved again. Uh, meanwhile, the Bears' offense struggled mightily. They were very screen and scramble reliant. Uh, and Justin Fields was the only thing going for this roster. He led he led the Bears in rushing yards in this game like he has in 10 of the last 12 games. Uh, I already think it's shaping up to be another long year in Chicago. This is me pushing my chips into the middle of the table on Green Bay. Um, they are going to be one of my two favorite bets of this week. Um, Green Bay is around, I think it's about, about at minus one and a half. Now I got it at a pick them. Um, they're playing Atlanta in Atlanta. I think they expose Atlanta as a fraud. Um, Desmond Ritter is not going to get away with throwing for 120 yards against this team. They are going to put points on the board. They're just talented everywhere. Like you look at that team and they have guys at every position and they're deep at almost every position with young guys that, We've evaluated over the last couple of years because they've had a ton of picks. Um, so they have a lot of, you know, second, third rounders and a couple first rounders mixed in there. Um, and a lot of guys looked impressive. They just had a, a young vibe about them that guys were hungry and the defense looked incredible. And they controlled this game and Jordan Love looked as good as I think you possibly could have expected him to, especially in a game without Christian Watson. Um, I think you add Christian Watson to the mix here and you have Aaron Jones more consistently a part of your offense. I, I think this is Green Bay team could absolutely be one of the best teams in the NFC. I think they will win this division. Um, I, I'm I'm in on the Packers. All right. In on the Packers, we've got a convert. Uh, that's awesome. I, I'm really excited to see what this team is able to do moving forward. I, I Kind of, I started to believe what they were saying about love, and we'll see if he can keep up uh, performances at that level throughout the year. Yeah, and I know people are going to say, oh, it's just the Bears. It's just the Bears. Like, they blew out the Bears. The Bears stink. The Bears were bad last year, and they won three games, and they got the first pick. They didn't get blown out by anybody last year. Mm -hmm. Like, they were close with the Eagles. I think they might have played a close game against the Chiefs or the Bengals or the Bills. One of those really good teams, they played a close game against, because I remember they were a huge underdog, and they hung in a game. The Bears played close against everyone last year. They were not close for a minute of this game. And we're going to get to a team at the end of this podcast, talking about Monday night, 
uh, Monday Night Football, when we talk about a fan base that is in despair. If you're a Chicago Bears fan right now, after 20 years of Brett Favre owning you, transitioning into Aaron Rodgers, owning you and talking about owning you, and then Aaron Rodgers finally gets traded. You have the first pick of the NFL draft. You have Justin Fields, an exciting young quarterback. You you see that Green Bay is week one on the schedule next year, and you get excited. And think about everything that's happened since that moment. Think about the bun, the bungling of that number one pick and what they did with it. Um, and then think about the fact that you came out against your rival in the quarterback of your rivals, your, their new hope, their new quarterback, the, the predecessor, or the successor uh, to the famous predecessors. And you come out and lay an absolute egg at home in front of your fans. Like that's one of the more depressing losses I can think of. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I followed so many Chicago people. Uh, I, I'm kind of friends with some Chicago people and, I followed Barstool very closely, which is heavily based in Chicago now. And man, I, I just can't, the Bears and the Jets, I cannot imagine waking up this morning as a fan of theirs, like trying to get jazzed up for week two. Yeah, there's a <clears throat> there's two more depressing losses, I think, that we haven't talked about yet. But that one definitely ranks up there. So oh, I, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's go to this next game. It was the Raiders at Denver. The Raiders win 17 to 16. Uh, The Raiders committed 10 penalties in this game, two of which occurred on Denver fourth downs to give first downs. Jimmy G was up and down. He fumbled a first and goal at the one snap, which he recovered before throwing an interception a couple plays later. But as Jimmy G does, Jimmy G is going to Jimmy G. He leads the comeback drive in the fourth quarter Uh, on the Denver side. I thought Russell Wilson looked a lot better than he did a year ago. I mean, he went 17 of 18 in the first half, if you exclude a spike. Uh, But it wasn't enough for Denver, uh, as their kicker, Will Lutz, leaves four points on the board with missed kicks in a one-point game. Uh, That will come back to bite you. So Raiders win 17-16. What did you think about this one? The Broncos had six possessions in this game. The Broncos have not had less than seven possessions in a game since 2000. Just to give you an idea of how slow this game moved with long, excruciating drives on both ends, um, six drives is just not a lot. Like, how many average drives are in a game, you think, Shane? Probably about 10, 11? Yeah, I would say about 10. Yeah, so in the double digits, I'd say. And six is just, that's insane. So that's just not going to work. Denver's going to have to figure out how to i think the stat is they had like 260 total yards they had 23 first downs like think about how barely you have to be getting those first downs every time for that to be possible like you have like 30 something extra yards on top of the neg the the necessary first down yardage and i know some of that is based on like you said they got two first downs on penalties so that doesn't count that but yeah, it just that I didn't watch a ton of this game. I wasn't as plugged in on this game as most of the ones we've talked about. Um, but more concerning for Denver than uh, exciting for Las Vegas, I'd say. But the thing I'd also say is that Denver's three leading receivers in this game were two tight ends and a running back. 
they really missed Jerry Judy. Um, mm-hmm. If Jerry Judy can come back and if Jerry Judy can be healthy, the rumor is he should come back for week two. That should be pretty huge for them. Yeah. Uh, I did look it up here. 10.9 uh, drives per team per game in 2022 was the average. So that's embarrassing. They only have six in a game. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the game that uh, everybody's talking about. It was Miami at the Chargers. Miami wins 36 to 34 and Tua and Mike McDaniel made a statement. There were doubts about how this offense could adapt. Uh, not by this podcast. We both love Mike McDaniel. But Tua throws for 466 yards and three touchdowns. Tyreek Hill had 215 yards and two touchdowns. Mike McDaniel, one of the things that he really changed up that I liked, last year he used a lot of jet motion to create separation. And jet motion is when you're bringing a receiver from one side of the formation all the way across to the other side. And that was great. The problem is it gives defenses time to push their coverage and figure it out. He started using a short out motion where he's motioning a receiver from one side of the same formation, just from the slot to outside. And it gives defenses less time to react. And Tyreek Hill does not need time to build up speed. Uh, He unveiled that and the chargers had no answer whatsoever for it. Um, On the Chargers side, the chargers are going to charge her. And they had the seventh best rushing game by success rate of the last decade. And it's the only game of the top 10 that ended in a loss. Uh, the Chargers had 200 plus rushing yards, at least plus two in turnover differential with zero turnovers and held their opponent under 100 yards rushing. Prior to this game, teams who did that were 110 and 0. 110 times that had happened and the team that did it never lost until today and oh by the way now austin eckler's dealing with an ankle injury uh, after his 164 yard performance like if i was him i would 100 percent reinstate my holdout after that game like top top 10 performance in the decade i'm holding out again now pay me that's definitely what austin eckler should do the only thing i'd say in response to that is joshua kelly had 91 yards on 16 carries he, he should hold out six, too. They should all yeah, hold out. Yeah. He almost <laughs> had six yards per carry. So I'm sure if Eckler did hold out, the Chargers would be like, I mean, this guy seems like he'll be fine. Like, that, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough situation for running backs. But I mean, man, if you have a, a Chargers team that has a historic running game and you get the ball back with two minutes less in the game and you have a supposed generational talent at the quarterback position. You'd hope that the quarterback could get 60 yards on a pretty terrible Dolphins defense. And not that, not 60 yards. I'm sorry. That's bad math. You could hope he'd get 35 yards and put yourself in position to, to go and attempt a field goal. But Justin Herbert did not do that. And it seems like Justin Herbert fails every single time that he's asked to lead a game-winning drive or a game-tying drive or an overtime drive. It feels like we've seen this song and dance a lot of times. And I'm not saying it's his fault solely. I'm not saying it's always his fault. But I am saying Justin Herbert gets more excuses than any athlete I've ever seen in any sport. And there's, that sometimes that doesn't mean that those excuses aren't valid. I'm not, I don't think they always are. I think sometimes he gets excuses that no one else would get. But it means that they're there. Josh Allen doesn't get these excuses. Joe Burrow doesn't get these excuses. Jalen Hurts doesn't. Lamar Jackson certainly never did. Um, 
I think Justin Herbert gets a pass by the nerd community and by the, the tape dog community because it's all pretty on tape. I get it. Like, he looks great in practice, looks great uh, in terms of the throws he can make. But at a certain point, uh, I think when plays break down, I don't know if he's going the extra mile beyond just having elite arm strength and having elite arm talent. I, I, it seems to me like when things get tough, Justin Herbert gets going. I, I don't know what that is. And obviously the, the, I don't know. I don't want to talk even too much about it, but it, it's in a game. It, it feels relevant to point out after three years of Justin Herbert fans. Sh- sh- sorry. I don't even want to, I don't want to curse. After three years of Justin Herbert fans pooping on Tua, constantly, constantly pooping on Tua, and constantly going after anyone who suggests that it's even a conversation. And that's honestly because there aren't Chargers fans. That's more of just football Twitter and analytics Twitter as a whole. It feels relevant to talk about in a game that Tua doubled him up in passing yards. And I yeah. know that I know he doesn't have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, but I. Tua outplayed the heck out of him in this game. And we could talk about situations and coaching and play calling all we want, but Tua played a great game and Herbert did not. Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue that when you put up 34 points, that should be yes. enough to win yeah. the game. And so we can really focus in on one drive where there's an intentional grounding call that I've never before in my life seen called uh, that puts you behind the sticks. It's you, All of a sudden you're in – you got to go 20 yards and then you take another sack. And so, I don't know. I would argue that a lot more fault goes on your head coach. Who's supposed to be a defensive guru that allowed 536 yards. And by the way, his defenses have stunk ever since he lost Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Cause Brandon Staley's not that good to begin with. No. Uh, Brandon Staley just talked cool in podcasts and videos the first year he was a head coach and everybody was like, Oh, this guy knows what he's doing. You went for I, it a lot. I've, I've been on the get rid of Brandon Staley train for a long time, but yeah, I mean, two outplayed Herbert in this game uh, and you can take weapons and things into account. But I do think, I do think if you're a chargers fan, you should walk away from this game and feel excited. I mean, yes, you lost, you put up 34 points on what's supposed to be a good Miami defense and the offense clicked and you hope your head coach can figure something out defensively. And you know, you're not going to run into the buzzsaw that is Hill and Waddle and a healthy Tua every week. Uh, So you hope you don't see them again uh, at all. You hope you don't run into them in the playoffs, but I do think chargers fans should feel excited about the season after that game, even though the week one results, not what they're after. I heard Vic Fangio, or I, I, I think Vic Fangio might be cooked. Um, I saw some people being not very happy with some of the decisions he was making um, defensively in that game and that the Chargers were kind of uh, taking advantage of them defensively. But, um, yeah, I guess the thing that I'd say about the 34 points thing, like you said, they had a historic rushing game. So I guess I wouldn't give a ton of the credit for the 34 points to Herbert. You give some of it to that for sure. Um, but it just feels like the running game performed really well. The receivers were open a ton. Um, the O-line seemed pretty good to me. Like, I, the, the Chargers were good. It just it, – it's it's brutal to not be able to, to leave that drive at the end. But obviously, you're right. The intention of grounding does make it tough, and taking the sack does make it tough. And he's got plenty of opportunities to – 
to go out and and, and rectify this. He'll be in mm-hmm. plenty of close games. They'll charge their games away all the time. Um, but it, it, I just at a certain point, the Stephen Ruizes of the world, um, ranking him second every week over guys like Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Justin er, and, and Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson. I just would like to see him accomplish something before yeah. we crown him. Uh, and it seems like that's what we do with Justin Herbert. We got NY Sports on YouTube chiming in saying, go Giants. Uh, we're going to get into the Giants here in a minute. But before we do our last game in the afternoon slate, uh, the Rams curb stomp the Seahawks 30 to 13. And um, is this Puka Nakua season? I mean, he had 10 receptions for 119 yards. He's the first player drafted in the fifth round or later to have 100-plus yards in his first game since Alan Hearns did it in 2014. Uh, Kyron Williams had 52 yards and two touchdowns at running back. I I think what – I mean, obviously, it's incredible that the Rams were able to pull that off. The the Seattle defense has no excuses. The Seattle offense has some. They lost both starting tackles, Charles Cross – and Abraham Lucas in the game, and the wheels just came off. Uh, Gino was 13 of 18 with no sacks on 19 dropbacks with them in the game. When they were out, he was 3 of 6 for 9 yards and took two sacks. And so, like I said, the offensive performance is maybe excusable. The defensive performance is not. You give up 30 points at home to a Rams team missing Cooper Cup, that is a great way for me to not take you seriously anymore. I thought the Seahawks, I didn't pick them to win the division, but I thought they would be good. Uh, I, I'm not going to overreact to week one, but many more performances like that. And I'm going to be totally out on the Seahawks. Yeah, I was all in on the Seahawks. I'm very concerned, um, but I'm not going to talk about that. We'll, we'll see how that goes this week. It's the lions and they've got plenty of games going forward, but I'll just talk real quick about the Rams. The three biggest waiver wire ads this season are, are right. Are this week so far, so far this season, I should say. Are three Rams. It's Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams, and Tutu Atwell. Those are probably the three biggest waiver ads this week. Maybe Kendrick Bourne, you could throw in there. Maybe a Justice Hill. Um, but I, I would probably, if I was doing free agency budget at some league tab, I would rank those three as my first three guys. Um, and I think Puka Nakua is real. Like I think at least as Cooper Cup, as long as Cooper Cup is out for, I think Puka Nakua will be a very important part of that offense. They, he got a ton of buzz all offseason, um, and, and it seemed like he did a really good Cooper Cup impression in that game. So I think Nakua will be good. And I would I really like Kyron Williams. Like I think Kyron Williams is – I'm biased, obviously, Notre Dame legend, but I think Kyron Williams is so much better at football than Cam Akers, who is so bad. Like I, I'm happy it seems like L.A. is finally kind of going away from him and trying to go with a guy in Williams here. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our Sunday night game. Uh, that was not much of a game. Uh, it was the Dallas Cowboys going to MetLife to play the New York Giants, and it was 40-0. to zero. Uh, The Giants drove the field on the opening drive for a field goal that was blocked and returned for a touchdown. Uh, Trevon Diggs forced a fumble on Saquon that went for a touchdown. Uh, Dallas ended the first quarter up 16 to zero, despite the offense only having one drive. Uh, the defense would force two more turnovers on the night. This is Mike McCarthy football. 
Uh, Dak threw for 143 yards and no touchdowns. Tony Pollard rushed for 82 yards and two touchdowns, and the defense dominated the game. Run the ball, rest your defense, uh, the whole nine yards for Mike McCarthy. I, I feel like the Giants just proved Murphy's Law in this game. They drove to the eight on the opening drive, and you feel good. Then a false start moved them back. Then a botched snap moves them back. Then the field goal gets blocked. Just awful stuff. Daniel Jones goes 15 of 28 for 104 yards, two interceptions. He sacked seven times, pressured on 63% of his dropbacks. Graham Gano missed a second field goal. Just horrible performance for the Giants. Uh, the Cowboys defense, man, they look amazing. Uh, I said in the offseason I thought they could be the best defense in the NFL. The Cowboys have the best defense in the NFL. Yeah, it certainly looks like it right now. It's hard to – Hard to even like come up with anything intelligent to say about this game. Like, Cowboys good, Giants bad. Um, Tony Pollard looks like a stud. Looks like he's going to step into that role and just be one of the best running backs in fantasy this year. Um, uh, it's hard to evaluate anything from this game. It became such a blowout so fast that both teams were in blowout mode. Um, I, I think it was crazy the Giants left Daniel Jones out there in the fourth quarter to get smoked behind clearly a, a mess of the offensive line. Um, they made a good point on around the NFL talking about, you know, like you refuse to play guys in preseason and you you treat it like it's the plague, and yet you're out here in a 33 nothing game in the fourth quarter, a 40 nothing game in the fourth quarter, letting guys just tee off on Daniel Jones. So, uh, yeah, that's really my only takeaway. All right, well, then let's get into the Monday night game, which was Buffalo at New York. New York wins this game. The Jets, I should say, win this game 22-16 to 16 in overtime. Uh, the storyline for this game, Aaron Rodgers injured on the fourth snap for the Jets. It was reportedly feared to be a torn Achilles. It's since been confirmed it is a torn Achilles. And so with Rodgers out, the Bills just need to play conservative football. I mean, they know Zach Wilson's on the other side. Like, you can literally score six points and win this game, right? Just be conservative. Josh Allen throws three interceptions. He fumbled. These were dumb interceptions. These weren't the ball got tipped. This wasn't uh, Patrick Mahomes throwing it to Kadarius Toney and it goes off his hands into a pick six. These were dumb interceptions. Like, the last two years, the last year and a half, Mark, we have seen Josh Allen on the Carson Wentz arc. Like he's just a more athletic Carson Wentz at this point. It's insane watching him throw away games like this. Um, it it it's maddening, man. I was willing to give him a pass last year with all the emotion around the Demar Hamlin situation, the the injury, uh, with the type of hero ball he was playing. It is unconscionable to play in the manner that Josh Allen played in this game. Like that's like bench your quarterback mid game level of play to send a message. He was horrific. It, it cannot be overstated how bad Josh Allen is and how single-handedly he threw this game away. Yeah, he was terrible in this game. I would say the Carson Wentz line feels too far because he was so good in the first 14 weeks last year. Like he was just, the, he was number one in EPA. Like he was so good. And it seems like something broke with him um, towards the end of that year. And I, I don't know if that's the jets hurting him, 
because the Jets did hurt him last year. And then he stunk in the second time he played the Jets. And then he stunk this time he played the Jets. But that's three times in a row over the last two years where the Jets defense has beat up Josh Allen. And the Mm -hmm. Jets defense has gotten the best of Josh Allen. Um, So I'm choosing to look at this as a Jets defense having a read on Josh Allen situation more than a Josh Allen continuing his struggles of the end of last year situation. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, you know, how he's able to bounce back as we move on. It's one week, but it was a disheartening one week. On the Jets' side, Yeah, uh, Garrett Wilson had an incredible touchdown catch. If you haven't seen it, you guys got to go look it up. It should have counted as a pass breakup and a touchdown because it was clearly going to be an interception, and he, like, gets a hand in there to deflect it away from the cornerback and then catches it himself. Uh, Brees Hall had 10 carries for 127 yards, 81 rushing yards over expectation. He also had a 20-yard catch. And the Jets' defense balled out. Jordan Whitehead had a hat trick of interceptions. DJ Reed had 11 tackles and broke up a pass for Stephon Diggs in overtime. And then the UDFA, Xavier Gibson, returned a punt for a touchdown in overtime to win the game. Tyler Lockett is the only other player in the last decade to score a punt return touchdown in his NFL debut. As I watched this game, Mark, I just thought that the Jets can't waste this roster on Zach Wilson. Like this team is too good for Zach Wilson to throw away another season for you. They got to start making phone calls. My first phone call would be to Tom Brady. That's where I'm going first. Second call would be to the Arizona Cardinals about Kyler. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is not coming back this year. I highly doubt he will play next year. I would imagine this is the end of Aaron Rodgers career. Uh, Kyler Murray could make a lot of sense. Jacoby Brissett from Washington could make a lot of sense. Uh, and then I guess you just go down the list of free agent quarterbacks at, at that point. Maybe this is why you should, this is why everybody in the NFL should have offered a fourth round pick for Trey Lance. Like he could be on this roster. Uh, again, I guess you just go down the list of free agents, Matt Ryan, uh, oh, whoever, Carson Wentz, uh, but none of these options are good. Uh, get yeah. Tom on the phone. How hilarious would it be if Tom Brady, two days after being honored at Foxborough on Tom Brady day signed with the jets. Yeah, it would be great. I I just, I don't see any way out of this. Like I, I I haven't heard a name that's gotten me excited at all. Like Brissett's the closest thing. Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe you could go nine and eight with Jacoby Brissett. Like, I don't think you can do much more than that. Like, I think this is the end of the year season. Like Brissett, I think Brissett was pretty decent last year in Cleveland, and he would be in a better situation with the Jets. I think you could you could get the playoffs with Jacoby Brissett. I mean, you're not going to win a Super maybe. Bowl probably, but maybe. I I just man, it, it's tough for me to figure out a way to to think that they are going to to do anything meaningful. Um, them winning this game, I I saw someone compare it to like your house burning down and then the ice cream man comes and like you get free ice cream and it's like, yeah, you got free ice cream, but your house burnt down. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if the trade-off was worth it there uh, for the jets. And honestly winning just makes it more annoying. Like, and it shows that you were so ready. Like it shows that this team, if you did have Aaron Rodgers, you probably would be sick. Like, you probably did have all the pieces, and that's uh, that's 
gotta be a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to about wrap it up. That's a somber note to end our, our week one review on. I, it, it was a somber way to end week one. One of the, yeah. you know, I mean, one of the three greatest players of our lifetime, right? Um, probably. Uh, three greatest quarterbacks for sure. Yeah. I guess maybe four. You could you could argue Peyton. But Mahomes, Brady, Rodgers, Peyton, probably the four best of our lifetime. Yeah. Um and probably watched the last play of his career be an, a torn Achilles. Um, and he'll probably retire without really much decision in the matter. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just don't really know how he gets back. Like, I think the Jets are right back in the mix looking for a quarterback this offseason. Without two first-round picks to do so. Yeah. Uh, man, it is... It is a dark day for Jets fans. I have nothing to offer. I think you should try Carson Wentz. Like, maybe find something. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't think any of the options are good at all. I wouldn't trade anything for anybody. Um, I just, I don't know what I would do. But I guess you can't just throw your hands up and say I give up. Yeah. All right. Well, final thoughts. Uh, Got it interesting. I, I had a feeling watching on Sunday that it was just sloppy and offenses were bad. And yeah. the data bears that out. Last year, the NFL had an average series conversion rate, which means you picked up a first down on 71% of drives. In week one, only seven offenses cleared that bar and 25 teams were below 68%. And then I tweeted this out earlier today. Uh, yeah, there it goes. It came up. Uh, in 2022, the median EPA per play was 0. .006. In 2023, week one, it was negative 0. .094. That's a huge difference. Uh, the number of teams with a positive EPA per play in 2022 was 19. There were only nine teams like that wow. in week one of this year. And this isn't just a week one thing. That's the first thing I thought. Well, week one is everybody's rusty, but in week one last year, there were 21 teams with a positive EPA per play versus only nine this year. So uh, I'm sure it's a blip on the radar. There have been no rule changes that favor the defense. I'm sure defenses aren't figuring out the offenses. There were some weather games, but I just thought it was interesting just to look at that and see that, man, offenses, it was a slog on Sunday. And of course, the the Chicago, or the, not Chicago, the uh, Chargers game, Chargers-Dolphins game kind of skews you as an anchor point to like man that was a shootout but all in all it was it was a weekend that lacked fireworks and yet football's back and couldn't be more excited even if it was a slog so uh, that was my final thought mark do you have anything that any takes you want to fire off any final thoughts before we get out of here yeah mine is about jalen hurts and it, one is a gambling point and one is a kind of an nfl twitter point People are kind of dunking on me. I had the, the tweet at Steven Ruiz and then the Solak interaction, and I'm getting people coming back in the comments now to dunk on me because Stafford won a game and also Jalen Hurts was bad. I don't think he was bad, though. I think that's a strong overreaction. He won a game. He controlled it the entire way, led the entire way, and his team covered. But Jalen Hurts has won 18 of his last 19 starts. He's 18-1. and one. In his last 19 starts. I don't think we talk enough about that. That is absolutely insane. Putting that aside, my main point here is a gambling point. 
bet Jalen Hurts anytime touchdown at plus 100 already while you can. Um, he has he had 18 rush touchdowns last year in 18 games. So while he might, may not have had a rushing touchdown in week one, he still had 18 and 18 games last year, and he's had 28 and 35 starts at this point. He could fail for the next 11 weeks to score a touchdown, and the smart money would still be on him to score a touchdown anytime. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up. Thank you guys for joining us for episode number 122 of Chalk Talk. If you enjoy what you heard on the show, and we know that you do, smash that subscribe button, turn on notifications so you don't miss the next episode. Drop us a five-star rating wherever you stream your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. We will catch you guys next time.